We are in Colossians chapter 4. Last week we read again Colossians chapter 4 verse 2. Uh, so we've covered that verse uh, a couple times now. And uh, this is where Paul says to devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And so what we covered last week was three uh, attitudes or three mindsets uh, that we want to have about prayer or three attitudes and mindsets that we want to have you know, while we're in prayer. And that is to be devoted in prayer. Uh, to be watchful in prayer and thankful. So devoted, watchful, thankful. Three attitudes or mindsets that we want to have about, about prayer. And so uh, about being devoted, uh, we define that as to either to wait upon or to be set apart or to consistently show strength or intense effort that prevails in spite of difficulties, remaining firm and staying in a fixed direction. So what we said was we don't always feel like praying. We don't always have this intense fire, you know, burning inside of us, you know, that wants to seek the Lord. We get that. Yet, Paul calls us to be devoted to prayer. So in spite of whatever may be going on around us, in spite of, you know, sometimes we feel like it, sometimes we don't, sometimes we feel like we're busy, sometimes we feel like we're tired, sometimes we feel like, well, I don't really know if God is really hearing me or not. Um, in spite of those things, we are going to have this resolve that says, yet still I will pray. So prayer isn't supposed to be based off of, you know, I always feel like it or not, or, um, you know, like the circumstances around me are perfect in order for prayer. The music is hitting just right, you know, so on and so forth. It's, prayer is, has, has nothing really to do with that. Prayer is something that we just have to be devoted to, that we are going to commit ourselves uh, to doing. We are devoted to a lot of different things, a lot of different people. And the reason why, if we really look at the things that we really cherish, or if we really look at the things that we're devoted to, it's because we've seen the value in it. We've seen the value or the beauty in that person or in that thing. And so even though devotion can be costly, even though devotion can cost our time, can cost our effort, can cost our thinking, can cost you know, money, can cost these things, we're willing to give those things up. We're willing to spend those things because we've seen the value, we've seen the benefit, we've seen the beauty in that thing. Do we feel that way about prayer? Do we see the value in prayer? Do we see the beauty in prayer? Do we remember the, the, uh, you know, how we define prayer just simply as a gift where you and I can speak with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords at any given moment? If we see the value in prayer, if we see the beauty in prayer, if we see that really as an opportunity, I can, I can talk to God at any moment. If I see that value, and the more I see him rightly, the more I see this gift rightly, the more devoted I'll be to prayer. And so we're called to be devoted to prayer. Paul also says, be watchful in prayer. Uh, And we define that as either literally to stay awake, that's what it means in the Greek, either literally to stay awake or figuratively to be responsible or vigilant. To be responsible or vigilant. Uh, And we looked at a verse that that Paul wrote from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, to kind of help us define, okay, what are we being vigilant about? What are we being responsible for? What are we, you know, what are we staying awake, quote unquote, for? Uh, And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul writes, with this in mind, Be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. What was he talking about? That was the section that uh, Paul writes uh, that a lot of people are familiar with about spiritual warfare. That's the part where he says, you know, put on the full armor of God, put on your helmet of salvation, your breastplate of of righteousness, and so on and so forth. Uh, your, Your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities, right? So he's talking about all this spiritual warfare. And that's when he ends that section by saying, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. So when we're talking about being watchful in prayer, we listed two things. One, that this is a spiritual battle, that there is a spiritual warfare that is going on, that there is an enemy, there is a a Satan, there is a devil who, who hates you, who hates the church, who hates God, who hates his advancing kingdom, 
And this is something we need to be watchful about. We need to be praying about this. We need to be vigilant in prayer because there is an enemy who doesn't want you to be. There is an enemy who, does, who, who stands in front of you and says, I do not want you to move forward. I do not want you to advance his kingdom. So Paul says, be watchful in prayer. And the second thing that we need to be watchful for, as we see from Ephesians 6.18, uh, Paul says to always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Be watchful, be mindful, be vigilant about the Lord's people. We ought to be praying for one another constantly. We ought to be keeping each other constantly in prayer, lifting each other up in prayer, covering each other in prayer. And again, this isn't just uh, you know, applying to those that we know, you know very well, those that we like a lot, but this is applying to those that we don't know very well. This is applying to those we don't like that much, that we ought to constantly be praying for one another. Especially when, we, when talking about praying for people that we don't really know or praying for people that eh, we don't always really get along with. We talked about how when we do begin praying for those, for those people specifically, the ones that we're you know, not really close with, how our heart begins to soften towards them. How prayer really puts us on equal ground with those people. You know, when, when I begin to pray for someone that I don't really like, you know, before I'm praying for them, I'm only constantly thinking about the differences between me and that person. Right? They're always like this. They're always messing up. They're always saying this. They're always doing that. They're always this. But me, I'm not like that. Right? I'm always highlighting and I'm always thinking about the differences between me and them. It's always us versus them, me versus them. But in prayer, I begin to realize, oh, I'm just in need of grace as they are. I am someone who needs Christ just as much as they do. When I begin to pray for that person, my heart begins to soften towards them because I begin to see how yeah, I'm actually not so different from that person. So we ought to be watchful in prayer for the Lord's people. And then finally, we said we ought to be thankful. Uh, and from our previous studies, we, we defined thankfulness uh, just simply as this, giving credit where credit is due. Give credit where credit is due. And where is credit ultimately due? When we think of the themes that we've been covering throughout our study, you know, when we remember who God is, when we remember how he views us, when we remember his gospel message that saves us, that satisfies us, credit ought to go to God. That's where credit is due. And so we ought to be thankful in prayer. And so just as we uh, have much to be watchful for in prayer, we have so much to be thankful for in prayer. So Paul says, be devoted, be watchful, be thankful in prayer. So this week, um, we're going to briefly touch on uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Uh, we're actually going to mainly be looking at a, an example of a prayer in the Old Testament that I really, really like. Um, it's one of my favorite prayers to, to read and to, um, to talk about. I think we're going to learn a lot from it, and then we'll come back at the end to kind of tie everything uh, together. So we'll read that real quick, uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Uh, we'll talk about that for just a second, then we'll look at another prayer in the, uh, in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles. Uh, so Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Read that again. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So, this is again Paul's uh, 
you know, the beginning of Paul, the beginning of the end of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, right? And so here, here he is, you know, giving his final instructions, his final encouragements, um, you know, his final updates, you know, about, you know, how he's doing, what's going on, so on and so forth. Um, and part of his final instructions to the church is to be devoted in prayer, right? He's talking about prayer. So verses two, three, and four all talk about pray, pray, pray. Uh, and so then now he's actually giving some of his prayer requests to, to the church. Uh, and when you notice what his prayer requests are, he says, pray for us for open doors um, for the message, and the message specifically being the gospel. He's like, pray for open doors for the gospel. Pray that this gospel message is clearly proclaimed. So he's praying for open doors for the message of the gospel, and he's praying for a clear proclamation of the gospel. So here is someone, if you guys remember from way back when, we said Paul is in jail writing this letter. So Paul is not with them. Paul is not, you know, around freely ministering. Paul is in jail when he's writing this letter. And so here is Paul, someone who's in chains, someone who's, who's in jail, praying for an open door. But not necessarily for himself, though. He's praying for an open door for the gospel. Do you see that? Like, he's, he's, not, he's not necessarily praying, God, open this door, like, free me from these chains, free me that I may go out. No, he's praying for an open door for the gospel. Paul is not very likely to pray for this, to pray for, you know, let the gospel keep advancing, let the gospel be preached clearly, let the gospel have an open door. While he himself is in chains, Paul himself is not very likely to pray for something like this unless he sees God rightly. Unless he sees God for who he really is, he's not very, it's not very likely that Paul is going to pray for something like this. Again, we've, we've mentioned this before. How we view God affects how we pray. How we view God affects everything, including how we pray. If I see God as, as a father, as a good father, if I see him as a provider, if I see him as protector, if I see him as, you know, uh, as a king, if I see him as powerful and able, if I see him as someone who hears me in prayer, if I see him as someone who is close, if I see him as someone who is just, if I see him as someone who, you know, if I see him in this way, the more I see him in this way, the more that's going to reflect in my prayer life. But if I see him as, you know, as otherwise, that's also going to show up in my prayer life. If I don't really see him as big, like, God, I, I think you're kind. I think you're, you're willing to do, you know, some, some amazing things for me, but I just don't know if you're big enough to do it. That's going to show up in my prayer life. If I think, God, oh, I know you're big enough, but you're just not willing to. That's going to show up in my prayer life. God, I, I don't think you're that just. I don't think you're that kind. I don't think you're that, you know, whatever it might be. However I view God, that's going to show up in my prayer life. And for Paul to be praying while he's in chains, Lord, I want to see your kingdom advance. I want to see your gospel advance. I want to see your gospel be, you know, whether I'm in chains or whether I'm out there, Lord, it doesn't matter. I want to see your gospel move forward. Paul isn't going to ask, you know, for these kinds of prayer requests. Paul himself isn't going to pray for that unless he has that kind of view of God unless he has a very big view of God, unless he has a very trusting view of God. God, whether I'm in chains or whether I'm free, doesn't matter. I want to see your kingdom move forward. He won't ask the church to pray for him unless he sees God rightly and unless he believes in the power of prayer. Now, with that being said, this is where I want to look at an example of prayer from Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 20, 
And again, this is an example of a prayer that I find just amazing. It's a very powerful prayer. And we, I think there's a, a, quite a few things that we can learn from this prayer uh, that will help us to pray according to who God is, uh, praying according to you know, his character, according to his track record, according to what he's done. Um, again, helping us shape how we view God, because again, how we view God will affect how we pray. So, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it's a little bit longer, if we're going to read verses 1 through 24. And it says, After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, with some of the Menunites, came together to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to your descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came out of Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came to Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, and he stood in the assembly. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your, position, your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed some men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and uh, looked toward the vast army, they only saw dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So a little bit longer, but um, again, there's, I think, quite a bit in there that, that we can learn. We're not going to be able to cover everything that's, that's in there, but quite a bit that we can learn from there. 
One thing before we actually jump into King Jehoshaphat's prayer, I, I do want to point this out. The value of praise and worship before you see the fulfillment of God's promise. I don't know if you guys saw that in there. Uh, prophet spe- you know, stands up, he has a word from the Lord, he delivers that word. Everybody is encouraged. And so then now they take God at, at his word that this battle is not ours. We don't have to fight. All we have to do is basically just watch. And so as they're going, King Jehoshaphat appoints some people. He appoints the worship team basically to go out at the head of the army, right, in front of the army, not behind the army, not like in the middle, not surrounded by them. No, at the head of the army to begin singing and worshiping and praising God. They had only received the word. They hadn't seen the, the, the victory yet. They hadn't seen how God was going to deliver them yet. And yet, they're already worshiping as if it already had happened. So they put the worship team at the front. They begin to go out. They worship. And as they're worshiping, it says that the Lord begins to take the enemy and they're all turned against each other. So by the time they get there, what they see is, oh, they don't have to fight anybody. Everybody's dead. There is value. There is, there is power in taking God at his word and praising him for it as if it was already done. Because God, when he speaks, it's as good as done. If God has spoken something, we can worship him as if it was already done. Because to God, speaking the word and fulfilling that word, to him there's no difference. It's one and the same. If it's spoken, it's as good as done. A lot more that can be said there. Not going to touch on that tonight, but I did want to point that out at least quickly. So, to back up for a second, what is happening in in this story? King Jehoshaphat, he is the king of, of Judah. And he gets news of this invasion. There's news of this massive army that is coming. These uh, uh, nations, separate nations have come together to kind of form this super army, and now they are all marching towards, towards Judah. Uh, and this army is huge, and this army is close. Somehow they were able to march very, very close, you know, uh, uh, pretty much undetected until they got, until they got very, very close. Uh, the estimates are about, about 40 to maybe 100 miles away from, from the city gate. So they're, they're not far away. They're close. And so this massive army is knocking on their doorstep. King Jehoshaphat said he's, uh, the, the Bible says that King Jehoshaphat is alarmed, meaning he's afraid, he's terrified. He wakes up, probably it's like every other day, nothing special about this day, and then all of a sudden you get news of this massive army that's knocking on your doorstep. It says that he's alarmed, he's afraid. And usually, when we're afraid, when there's fear, for some reason, like fear causes us to panic, fear causes us to completely forget who God is, to completely forget, you know, what God has done, completely forget everything. But in this case, King Jehoshaphat doesn't forget who God is. He doesn't panic. He doesn't completely forget that God is with him or anything like that. He doesn't run from God. He does quite the opposite. It says that he resolved to inquire of the Lord. He resolved, we need to talk to God. We need to seek the Lord on this. So he sets his heart on prayer. He's devoted to prayer. But it's not just him. He proclaims a nationwide fast. He calls everybody together. We need to come together. We need to come together quickly. And we need to pray. So it says that people from every town came together to seek the Lord. So in this instance, what we see is plan A was prayer. Plan A was prayer. Their immediate response to what was going on, prayer. Wasn't anything else. It was prayer. And that's interesting for a couple reasons. One Jehoshaphat is a known military leader. If you read through the Chronicles up to this point, you will see King Jehoshaphat going to war many times. So he's been in battle. He has experience. This, isn't, this wouldn't have been his first time going off to war. The other thing is, 
Not only is he experienced, but his own army is huge. It's massive. Second Chronicles chapter seven. Uh, Second Chronicles chapter seventeen basically starts to lift, list off all the towns within Judah, all the men who are enlisted in, in his army, all the numbers. It was a census, basically. You add those numbers up, it comes out to about 1.2 million. He has a massive army. Like you, Some people actually begin to, th- are, are thinking, some scholars will say, I don't think that number is right. That seems too huge. So he himself has military experience. He himself has a massive army. And yet in this situation, plan A is prayer. Plan A is prayer. You learned something. The last time King Jehoshaphat went to battle, he ignored the word of the Lord. He was inquiring the Lord, do I go to battle? Do I ally myself with this king? And do we go off and fight this other enemy? The Lord said, no, you're not to do that. He ends up allying himself with this wicked king, even though the Lord told him not to. And it almost cost him his life. In the middle of the battle, it says that he's completely surrounded, he's wounded, and, then he, and he begins to cry out to the Lord, Lord, basically, forgive me, I messed up. And the Lord delivers him. The Lord saved him. So it seems like maybe, we don't know this for sure, but maybe he learned his lesson. Okay, this time, I'm not going to ignore the word of the Lord. This time, I'm going to seek the Lord first. And this time, whatever it is that he says to me, I'm going to obey, I'm going to do. So plan A in this option was prayer. Now, in this prayer, everyone gathers together to seek the Lord. And again, in this prayer, we gain insight into Jehoshaphat's relationship with the Lord, uh, how he views God, and in, in what, you know, what he thinks of him, and how that begins to shape his prayer. There's three main questions that we're going to look at from his prayer that he asks. He says, are you not? Did you not? Will you not? Are you not? Did you not? Will you not? We're going to look at those three things that he mentions. Number one, are you not? Verse six says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. When King Jehoshaphat says, are you not? That is a question of God's character. That is a question of who is God? He says, God, are you not the God in heaven? Are you not the one who is above this, who is greater than this, the one who sees all of this, the one who has authority over all of this? He says, are you not the one who rules over the kingdoms of all the nations? Isn't that you? That's you. He says, you rule over all these kingdoms, including this one, Lord. Remember, King Jehoshaphat is a king. So he's not just king over all those other nations, he's also king over this nation of Judah. So even though King Jehoshaphat is a king himself, he's not too prideful to think that he's equal with God or above God. No, he's saying, God, you're above this. You're the God of heaven, meaning you're above all of this. You're king, you're sovereign over all of this. He's acknowledging God for who he is. Deuteronomy 4.39, verse I always love to quote, acknowledge and take heart. The Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. This is exactly what he's doing. He's acknowledging God. God, is this not who you are? He says, power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Here is this huge army that's coming towards him. 
Right? This is several nations that have come together to, to build up this like super army. This super army is now marching against him. And yet he says, power and might is in your hand. I know where real power and might resides. I see a massive army that's coming, but real power and might resides in your hand. Yes, these nations come together to form this massive army, but there's only one who is God. Even Jehoshaphat has a massive army himself, but who can withstand God? So he says, are you not? Is this not who you are? What he's doing when he's praying this, he's reminding himself and reminding everybody who's there. Because again, he's not just praying within himself. He's praying in front of this, all these people that have come together from all the towns to, to, uh, to seek the Lord, to inquire of the Lord. When he's praying, are you not? When he's praying these things, he's reminding himself and everybody there, this is who God is. So he's praying according to God's character, according to who God is. Before he makes his request known, he says, God, are you not this God? This is who you are. Power and matter in your hand. You're the God of heaven. You're the one who's above all this. He's praying according to God's character. He's reminding himself. He's reminding everybody there. This is who God is. This is our God. Then he goes on. Did you not? Number two. Verses 7 through 11. He says, our God, our, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive, out, drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. It says, did you not? Jehoshaphat goes from praying to, uh, according to God's character to now praying according to God's track record, what God has done. Did you not? Is this not what you have done before, Lord? He says, Lord, did you not give us this land? Were you not the one who delivered us from Egypt? And brought us into this land. He begins to remember, Lord, that was a powerful thing that you've done. To bring us into this land, that was a powerful thing that you had to do. To bring our ancestors out of slavery, out of bondage. All the miracles that you performed through Moses. All the provision that, you know, that they had in the 40 years of, in, in the wilderness. Then to be able to drive out all the inhabitants of you know, people who were much bigger, much stronger than they were. He begins to remember, Lord, did you not do that? Were you not the one who did that? He says, did you not swear on oath to your friend Abraham that this would be our land? Are you not, did, did you not say that, Lord? Did you not make that promise? Did you not make that covenant to our father Abraham? Early on in, in Israel's history, once they did inhabit the land, Solomon builds a temple. The second king of Israel builds this massive, glorious temple. And when he finished building the temple, he prayed what we see in verse 9. If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in the presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress. King Jehoshaphat is reciting, he's, he's remembering a prayer that was said by King Solomon when that temple was first built. When King Solomon built the temple, he prays that prayer and everybody is, is coming together to, you know, uh, to kind of open the temple and worship and just you know, be in awe of this. It says that God answered their prayer 
by lighting up all the sacrifices with fire. And not only that, the manifest presence of God, the glory of God, so filled that temple that the priest couldn't even enter. That Shekinah glory, that thick cloud, that presence of God so filled that temple that the priest couldn't even enter. And everybody was flat on their face. Couldn't enter. King Jehoshaphat is now remembering God. Remember that? When, when King Solomon first prayed that prayer, when King Solomon made that promise in front of you, if, if anything were to come upon us, Lord, we will seek you. We will call upon you. Well, here we are now again. We are in trouble. If calamity is coming upon us, so Lord, we are seeking your name. Did you not say this? Did you not do this? He says in verse 10, but now here are these people from all these different countries who are, who are attacking us. Lord, did you not say don't touch them? What he's referring to, again, back in Exodus, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt and towards the promised land, there were certain groups that the Lord actually said, don't touch them. You are not to, touch, you're not to go into their territory. You're not to speak to them. You're not to mess with them. You're not to fight them. You're not to lay a finger on them. You're not to do anything with them. Leave them alone. God's instructions to them. And now those same people who God spared, who God said, do not touch them, now King Jehoshaphat is saying, look what they're doing to us. You told us to spare them. Now look how they're, they're repaying us. Look how they're treating us. He says, Lord, did you not say don't touch them? Did you not say this? He moves from praying according to God's character to now praying according to God's track record how important it is to remember the work of God in your life. To constantly bring the work of God into your life. To constantly be reminded of the work of God in your life. To constantly be reminded of the, of the things that God has said in your life. Because that's exactly what he's doing here. He's reminding himself and he's reminding all the people that he's praying in front of, this is not only who God is, but this is what God has done for us. This is what God has spoken towards us. Praying according to God's character, now praying according to God's track record. The work that he's done already for them. Then verse 12. Will you not? He says, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Will you not? Here's his request. This is his request. He says, we don't know what to do. We can't do anything about this on our own. We need you, God, to intervene. So once he's praying about God's character, once he's being reminded of God's track record, now he brings his request before God. Notice, he brings God's character to the front of his mind. Then he brings God's track record to the front of his mind. Then he brings his request. He's praying exactly according to God's character and God's track record. If you do that, I there is faith in your prayer. There is something very encouraging about your prayer. When you begin to pray according to, okay, this is who I'm speaking to. This is my God. This is his character. And this is what he has already done for me. And this is what he has already promised me. And this is what he, you know, the, the work that he's already accomplished in my life. When I begin to pray according to God's character, according to God's track record, then when I bring my request before him, there's faith in that prayer. There's something very encouraging about that prayer. That's at that moment that he asks, he makes his request known. Asking God, making your request known to God, 
It's a biblical principle. We are called to ask. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Remember we talked a few weeks ago that uh, even Jesus was not exempt from asking. Jesus is himself, we find Jesus praying and asking and receiving. So asking, making your request known to God, is a biblical principle. Something that we ought to do. When, when Jesus was uh, entering, I think it was the city of Jericho, and there was a man, blind Bartimaeus, who's sitting at the city gate, and he hears all this commotion you know, going on. He finds out it's Jesus who's passing by. He begins to cry out. He's screaming out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. He's screaming. And the rest of the disciples are telling him, shut up, like, keep quiet, you know, just leave him alone, this, that, and the other. And Jesus says, no, don't, don't quiet him down. Bring him forward. Brings him forward. And then Jesus asks him, what can I do for you? What is it that you want? Like, isn't it obvious? The man is blind. Isn't it obvious, like, what, what he wants? But no, 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 he asks him, what is it that I can do for you? And Bartimaeus makes his request, no, I want to see. And Jesus heals him. He asks. We ought to ask. Sometimes we don't ever ask because we don't know or we don't believe that he is who he says he is, that he is the God of power and might, that he is the God who hears prayer. Sometimes we have, you know, we don't ask because we have forgotten what it is that he's already done. We have forgotten, you know, the, the, the answered prayers that have come before. There's so many reasons that we just simply don't ask. And yet God says, in my kingdom, ask and you shall receive. Ask. Make your request known. So, a couple things. Kind of tie this part up, and then we'll come back to briefly to Colossians. King Jehoshaphat prayed according to who God is. Right? So that means, in order for us to pray according to who God is, that means we need to get to know who God is. That means we need to grow in our relationship. We need to grow in our knowledge of who of who God is. I can't pray according to who God is if I don't know who God is. Simple. That doesn't mean we're going to know him perfectly, then we can, we can finally begin praying. It doesn't mean, you know, we, we, we study the Bible, and then, you know, we go to seminary, and then we get our PhDs, and then all of a sudden, you know, then I can finally, no, no, no. Right? As if that, there could ever be a day where we'll finally know all of God, as if we could exhaust him. He's too big. So we pray now according to who we know God to be. But that also should be an encouragement. That should also be a, 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 a conviction. There should also be a resolve. I need to know this God even more. And I need to grow in my relationship with him that I may pray according to who he is. So spend time with him. Grow in your relationship with him. Then again, he prayed uh, remembering what God has done. Practically speaking, take time to recall what God has done. Take time to recall the answers to prayer. How many times have we prayed for something, we got the answer, didn't even realize we got the answer because we either forgot about it or, you know, we just, for, for whatever reason. What are some of the things that you were praying for that you forgot about, but then now if you really think about, oh, wait, that, that actually happened. I actually got that answer. We need to remember what it is that God has done. We need to remember 
the promises that God has made. We need to remember, if nothing else, the sacrifice of Christ, the ultimate work that God has already done on our behalf, the very thing that has brought us into this relationship with the Lord, the very, the very thing that has allowed us to come before the Lord at any moment to make our requests known. Remember that work. Meditate on that work. Be thankful for that work. Take time to remember the work that God has done in your life. Then, from that moment, make your request known. Don't be afraid to ask. Ask him. Pray according to who he is. Pray according to what he's done. And make your request known. If we go back to Colossians. We see, again, Jehoshaphat prayed according to who God is and what he's done. Think of the themes that we've been going through again and again and again and again and again. Who is God? How does he view us? What is his view of us individually? What is his view of us corporately as the church? How does he view the church? His gospel message that saves us, that satisfies us. Isn't that who is God? Praying according to who is God. If we think of the themes... Pray according to the themes. Pray according to who is God. Pray according to, okay, God, this is who you are. This is how you view us. This is what you have said about us. This is the gospel message that you have presented us. This is the work that you have done in me. This is the work that you have done in us together. This is your work. Pray according to the themes that we've been going through. If we don't, we don't pray according to who God is, according to how he views us. Right? When, when, again, when, when Jesus uh, tells his disciples to pray, he says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. If God is our Father by definition, then we are his children. Pray according to who God is, how he views you. If he says that's your Father, then by definition, you view me as your child. Pray according to, as we covered in, in Colossians chapter 1, he says, to the holy and faithful church. This is how God views you. If you are in Christ, you are viewed as holy and faithful, blameless in his eyes, filled with the Spirit. This is how God views you, because we are in Christ. Pray according uh, to, to, to this truth that I am in Christ, that I am allowed to come before the Father. I am allowed to receive answers to prayer. Why? Because I'm in Christ. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because Jesus deserves all the answers to prayer. That's why we pray in his name. I'm not going to come before the Lord with my own work. I'm not going to come before the Lord with my own righteousness. I'm not going to come before the Lord with my own, okay, now, Lord, I've done enough that you will love me and now you'll finally answer me. No. I come before the Lord in Christ. So then, if I make my requests known in Christ, Christ deserves all the answers to prayer. Christ deserves to be heard. I pray according to that. To who God is, how he views me, his gospel message that saved me, that brought me into this relationship with him, we pray according to that. But again, if we don't, it will be very hard, very, very hard. Um, as Paul requests, for example, Paul says, pray for us too. He's in chains. 
you know, he's speaking when he says us, and we're going we're gonna to learn a little bit more of who the us is in these final verses of chapter 4. It's like this little ministry team, some who are in jail, some who are in different cities. He says, and pray for us too. But if we don't pray according to who God is, if we don't pray according to his work in our life, if we don't pray remembering these things, it's going to be very hard, as, as Paul requests, to pray for people around us, to pray for our leaders and their chains and the burdens that they're carrying. It's going to be really hard to pray for the advancement of the gospel. It's going to be really hard to pray for its clear proclamation. It's going to be really hard to be thankful or watchful in prayer. It's going to be very hard to be devoted in prayer if I don't pray, if we don't pray according to who God is and what it is that he's done. I won't be devoted in prayer. I won't be thankful in prayer. I won't be watchful in prayer. We won't be praying for our pastors. We won't be praying for the elders. We won't be praying that, oh, Lord, when was the last time that we prayed, Lord, let your gospel move forward. Let your gospel advance in this city. Let your gospel advance in this house. Let your gospel... It's going to be really hard to pray these kinds of prayers, especially for Paul, who's in prison, if we don't pray according to who God is and his work in our life. We're going to spend a few minutes as we close in prayer. And what I want to pray for is that, that, that we would have that view, that we would really begin to, to view God in the right way, that we would view him for who he really is. That God, you want his soul be seen rightly. He wants us to see him rightly. If he didn't want us to see him rightly, he would have never revealed himself to us. He would have never sent his son. He definitely would have never have sent his son. He would have never given us his word. He wouldn't have done any of this if he didn't want to be revealed. And so now, this is what I really want to pray for, is that, Lord, help us to see you rightly so that we would be people who would be devoted to prayer, that we would be people who would pray according to that character, that, Lord, when we pray, we are praying knowing who you are, firm on who you are, believing in who you are, and growing in that. And again, not perfect. I'm not calling anyone here. Okay, if you're not perfect in your knowledge of God, that's, that's nonsense. Nobody is. None of us are. But what I am saying is that, Lord, that we would continue to grow in our relationship with you, that we would continue to see you rightly, that we would see you more and more each and every day so that when I pray that I am someone who is praying according to who you are, the right one, right, the right version of you, that I'm not praying with any uh, uh, um, false ideas of you, that I'm not, you know, praying, you know, holding on to any lies about you, you know, believing that you're really not that good, or you're not that big, or you're not that powerful, or you're not this, or you're not that. Lord, I don't, I don't want to pray with those, you know, I don't, I don't want that touching my prayer anymore. I want to pray according to who you are and what it is that you have done. And so that's what I really want to pray for now. We're just going to take a few minutes. Lord, help us to change. Repent where we need to repent. And ask the Lord even more so, Lord, knowing that you're a God who does hear prayer, knowing that you're a God who does answer prayer, Lord, answer this one for us. Show us who you are even more so. Show us Jesus.